All right, back to Romans chapter 8. And now we're all set after that cup of tea. For me, a cup of water. But uh, <laughs> I'll get tea next. <laughs> all right. Romans chapter 8 again. And we're just going to simply uh, continue on here to the next uh, major part of this as we're dealing with skirting death and embracing life and analyzing the difference between Christian legalism and Christian license, two kinds of death versus Christian liberty, which is life in the spirit. And we have looked at the philosophy and tried to detail some of that and uh, compare the categories. And now we'll move to the practice part of this. And so uh, let's uh, just... um, uh, continue on in that. Let me just, uh, I know we just prayed, but let me just have us uh, pray one more time. Lord, I do pray, strengthen everyone right now to focus. Spirit of God, I pray that you'd open the understanding, bring the freedom that's needed, and Lord, protect us from deception in any way. Spirit of truth, we trust you now to guide us into all truth and protect us from the enemy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, when it comes to the practice part of this, it's all built on the philosophy, all the underlying belief. But it is manifested in the practice. And one of the points we had under the philosophy was the philosophical focus. And I want to begin now with the practical focus. The practical focus of Christian legalism is the rules. It is a focus on the standards. The rules. And it may, uh, it can be a lot of different things. It's not just issues of of worldliness. It could even be like, okay, you know, you, you have to go soul winning on Thursday night or whatever the time that they uh, uh, have and uh, so forth. And uh, if, uh, if you happen to have a second shift job and you don't go on Thursday night, well, you're not a good Christian because you didn't go on Thursday night. All right, see, there's a focus here on the rules, on the standards, and obviously that infringes on the Holy Spirit. Uh, the practical focus of Christian license is no rules which is a rule. (laughs) So there's a similarity between the two extremes. Uh, We've been noticing as we go along here. uh, So uh, the practical focus on one is law, the rules. The modern word we would use perhaps would be standards. And then on license, it's no rules, no law, which is a rule, and again ignores the Holy Spirit. But the practical focus of true Christian liberty is on the ruler. See, the others focus on what, what to do, what not to do, whatever, whereas Christian liberty focuses on who? The ruler, Christ himself, follows his leadership and depends on his power. Now, here's what's fascinating. Christian liberty is not the liberty to do as you please. It's the liberty to do as God pleases by his power which is real liberty, when you're actually free to do right, Uh, when you're actually enabled, liberated to do right. See, that's true Christian liberty. Now, legalism was confronted in Acts chapter 15. And uh, in that chapter, there's this big council that meets. And uh, there were certain uh, uh, Jewish believers who were saying that, look, uh, except ye be circumcised, ye cannot be saved. And so they were adding works a works-based thing into uh, the gospel, which meant it was no longer the true gospel. And, of course, uh, uh, Paul came down and, 
and they discuss. And then Peter stands up and says, hey, folks, remember uh, what Cornelius and uh, God let them get saved the same way he let us get saved. It's all by faith and so forth. And so they, uh, they recognize that the, Jew, the Judaizers, the Jewish believers, were trying to impose a man-made box on Christianity. So they rejected that in this council. But they did not end up in Christian license because at the end of the chapter, in other words, at the beginning of the chapter, they, they smash this focus on rules, and yet at the end of the chapter, they end with four rules. In other words, God has a box. It's just not man's box. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the you know, fornication, and, and there's the four different things that are lined out there. And it's very interesting. In that very chapter, they say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. You see, it was true Christian liberty following the Holy Spirit who did give them some boundaries. But they were God's boundaries as opposed to man's. And so uh, when you focus on the ruler, it's not a free-for-all. No, he's going to lead you. No, that's going to hurt you. Stay away from that. But the focus isn't on that. The focus is on him. See, that's, this is a focus issue at this point, And so it's very, very important. I remember I was in a meeting uh, this fall where I've been chewing on some of these thoughts. And so uh, that historical thing I did at the beginning about the emperorism and the individualism and so forth. Well, when I described emperorism, this pastor, who years before had been a youth pastor, said, Oh, man, that's exactly what I was. And he said, I finally realized that I could not force these kids but that I had to depend upon the Holy Spirit. (laughs) His very words, okay? He was coming into real Christian liberty. Uh, The protection from both ditches here, and the key to that is you focus on the person. You focus on Jesus, His Spirit, and therefore His leadership, His life. And when that happens, it's not a free-for-all. No, there are things that would hurt us, and God leads us away from that. But the focus is not on, okay, you do all these things and you're good. No, the focus is on Him, His life. Okay, these things are going to handle that, so stay away from them. But the focus is on Him, not the religious duty, though there are boundaries. And so uh, this is that fine line, that middle, that knife edge. And uh, it's so easy to step off one way or the other. And we recognize, okay, the letter of the law kills, man, this is death. And we chuck that, and what happens for many is they end up right under the other ditch, and they're just into a free-for-all of license, and they're actually uh, allowing themselves in the world in a way that is just strangling and smothering their walk with God. Which is death. Both ditches are death. And uh, it has been very interesting to, uh, to me to watch over the years various families... Uh, families that I knew growing up and families that I've known uh, in uh, more recent years. And in some cases, you know, when the kids were small, everybody looked great. Man, everything was in order. (laughs) And there is a sense where when kids are small, you have to have more boundaries because they're immature. But if they never learn to walk with God themselves, then you're in for big trouble. And what happens is flesh dependence the legalism side, uncorrected, leads to flesh indulgence, the license side. 
This is what you have in the book of Galatians. At the beginning, uh, it uh, opens that book up with the perversion of the gospel. And in chapter 3, it is slamming flesh dependence for the Christian life. Slamming. And by chapter 5, it's nailing flesh indulgence. Why? Because it says, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. You see, what happens is people recognize the legalism. They deal with that. And if they're not careful, they end up right up over here in license and and what I have seen, I've seen people who had all these rules and all these standards and they had that focus rather than the focus on Jesus. And they all look good, but as the kids are getting older, uh, there's all sorts of explosions taking place and there's all sorts of conflict and tension and they don't have the life of the Spirit. And finally they're saying, well, forget this, this isn't working. And they chuck it all and they go right into license. And uh, there's some, uh, I have faces coming to my mind right now. These kids were pristine as elementary school students. And today you would not know they're saved by what they practice. I think many of them actually are saved, but they've gone into this pendulum swing of extremes here, and it's a tragedy. Now, the key protection is Jesus. If it's Him living through us, we're going to come out right. So that has to be the focus. A second aspect of the practice is what I'm going to call the banner. What I mean by that is Christian legalism is done in the name, listen carefully, of holiness and contending to the exclusion of love and grace. Now, don't misunderstand me. The problem is not holiness and contending. No, those are Bible truths. The problem is neglecting love and grace. And so what this is, is an emphasis on the outward to the neglect of the heart. And uh, John R. Rice, whom I'm named for, uh, told, said this. He said, why are, we, why are we focusing on the word standards? No, the issue is holiness. That's a great statement. In other words, when you have the Holy One, you'll have holiness. Unsaved moralists can fulfill standards. Okay, so again, the key is the person. And so, uh, that's the banner, though, of Christian legalism. It's done in the name of holiness and contending, and those would be the big things that are thumped, but it's to the exclusion of love and grace, and the problem there is not the holiness and contending, it is the exclusion, the neglecting of love and grace. Now, Christian license is the flip-flop. It's in the name of love and grace. But it's to the exclusion of holiness and contending. Now the problem is not love and grace. Those are Bible truths. The problem is neglecting or excluding holiness and contending. Taking a stand for what's right. And so here the emphasis is on the inward to the neglect of the outward. Isn't it amazing? Satan is a master at getting us to go to extremes. Because I've heard, I mean, I've heard this. Ah, oh, you know, you know, it's the heart that counts. Well, of course it's the heart that counts, but it's not the only thing that counts. <laughs> and yet there are others who so focus on the outward that, uh, you know, the heart could be corrupt as all get out or filled with pride and arrogance and so on. And, you know, if you're going to focus on the outward, none of us have it. I mean, the Amish got us beat by a long shot <laughs> when it comes to the outward. Uh, they, they got it. And so... Uh, uh, again, this is, a, this is an imbalance. 
Whereas Christian liberty is in the name, the banner of the Holy One who is both love and holy. When we have Him, we have both. Here the emphasis is on heart with the expression outwardly as the Spirit leads. Now, let's move from the banner to the atmosphere that is created by it all. In the practical sense, Christian legalism creates an atmosphere of pride and condescension. And what I'd like to call an oppressive rigidity. There is a condescension. A condescension. Okay, here's the box. You're not in it. And you're a lousy Christian. And though, you know, sometimes people actually say it. Other times they don't say it. But it's what they're thinking. You know, those poor people. Uh, you know, uh, and, and, and the prayer goes something like this. You know, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are. And it really does. I'm talking about fundamentalists. Not just the story in the parable. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like them. They, you know, and they don't know what I know. <laughs> and uh, it's an arrogance. It's a condescension. And uh, there's a condescension, especially on non-explicit issues. Now, there are explicit issues, like one of the rules at the end of Acts 15 was, you know, stay away from fornication. Okay. But... But that's very explicit. But what happens is, on the non-explicit areas, which we all have to grapple with and deal with, and we have to land somewhere, that's fine. But when we condescend to somebody who lands a little differently on the non-explicit level, that's arrogance. And uh, when it's non-explicit, it's not as clear. It's what we could call debatable. (laughs) And when we don't give that allowance, then really what we're saying is it's my way or the highway. Well, that's arrogance. You know, when you're the only one right, you're wrong. (laughs) It's a great truth. Uh, It really is true. And so what happens is, is there's an unreasonable control that produces this oppressive rigidity. Uh, And what happens is that it produces reactions to that. People saying, well, I can't measure up. And like we talked about, and they despair. And sometimes they, they, they leave. And... What happens is the legalists think, well, we're just paying a price for our holiness and our separation. When in reality, they're paying a price for their arrogance. So there's a difference. Now, that's not to say that some people don't leave over holiness issues. They, they, they do. But in sometimes, in some cases, uh, it's not the, the issues, it's the attitude that's really being reacted to. There was a man named William Boardman who wrote a book in 1858 called The Higher Christian Life. It was really the beginning of the multitude of books on the spirit-filled life that followed 50 years later. And it's a fascinating book. It is, uh, it's tremendous. It's outstanding. And I was reading it this last year and thinking, why didn't I read this one sooner? What a, what a tremendous help this is. But as he's dealing with now this is 1858 when this is published. And he points out that, that, that what we call Christian legalism, but he described that same mindset, uh, so they had problems with it then as well, 
Uh, but uh, he described it and said, you know, what happens is, he said, the focus is on you got to do it this way, and you got to do it this way, and this is the only way, and, uh, and it's the focus on the box, we might say, rather than on, on the it's focus on the rules rather than the ruler. And uh, he, he went on to say that it, it's oppressive. And he says, anytime Christianity becomes oppressive, recognize the hiss of the serpent. I thought, wow. See, that's what Satan does. He binds. He incarcerates. Whereas when we're really following the Holy Spirit and really depending on the Spirit, He frees. He liberates. He does not bind and, and, uh, and shackle us. So if we have, in the name of our Christianity, bondage, We've fallen into religion and out of relationship. We have fallen into Satan's lie. And there is that mark of the enemy there, that oppressive rigidity. This is the only way. And you know, quite frankly, and I'll say more uh, toward the end of this, but you know, my own mode has been over the years... Uh, God dealing with me about the legalism side of it. I mean, I was, that's where I was. And so God's been peeling that back. But it's amazing what can happen as God awakens us to grace and awakens us to the Spirit for life. We can actually start preaching the right words. But then say, and here's what it looks like. And if it doesn't look like this, you don't have it. And we've got a box again. And so uh, Satan is constantly trying to uh, oppress and uh, get that uh, um, counterfeit religion going. Now, the atmosphere of Christian license is also pride and condescension. In other words, the legalists will say, ah, those people, ah, they're just as worldly as all get out and and, uh, look at that license and and boy, they they may be right, but often there's this just arrogant condescension and there's no reaching out to try to help or anything. Well, the same is true on the other side of the fence. I remember in 1987, I went on a missions trip to Antigua. Uh, that's one of those missions trips where you're suffering. You go to the Caribbean. And uh, uh, at any rate, uh, <laughs> I remember when I got down, there was, there was a guy I had, uh, when I was in graduate school, I worked at a church in South Carolina, and there was an older man there, and he'd go on these trips to South America and this and that, and he'd, he'd get whole teams to come with him. He's quite a guy. Uh, and uh, so he told me, he said, John, I want you to come on this trip. He said, I'll have you preach a, a, a revival meeting. Well, that was the first revival meeting I ever preached. It was 1987 in Antigua. And uh, I remember when we got to, uh, to Miami, and I started meeting the other people in this group, I thought, whoa, this isn't what I thought it was. And I was with many different labels. Now, God has His dear people in a lot of different sections. I understand that. But, uh, you know, it's one thing to be with somebody who still believes the gospel. It's another thing to be with somebody who has a label where many people in their label don't even believe in salvation by grace through faith. I'm thinking, whoa, this is not right. What's going on here? So I called my dad. I said, Dad, what do I do? He said, well, you're already down there. You might as well go and just learn from it. <laughs> so, uh, oh, my dad was always on the practical side of things. I said, okay. So we get down there, and um, there was a, a pastor, a missionary there on the island. It took his signature to get this group on the island. Well, when he found out who was in our group, he was upset, and understandably so. He, you know, he uh, should at least been informed, hey, we got this and we got this and we got this and so forth and so on. He could have made his decisions. 
Uh, but uh, there was one fellow that was of a theological persuasion where the pastor rightly said, that man can't preach for us. And I agree with him. Well, man, oh man, the fur was flying. And I remember the pastor came over and these, these guys in the group and... Uh, uh, one of these guys was really a sharp guy. He, he, uh, he was very talented. He actually used to work for Billy Graham's Crusades and stuff. And uh, he was saying, oh, brother, he said, what about love? What about grace? How can you do this? And so there, I mean, they, I mean it, was, it was really soupy. And they were in a building where all the walls were real thin. You could hear everything, you know, so we're all... We're all sitting there listening, you know. <laughs> and uh, so he held his line. And that preacher that wasn't allowed to preach got mad and got on the plane and left. And uh, when the pastor left the building, all these guys who were so sweet and so what about love and so what about grace, as soon as that pastor left, they were, nah, that, and they were bad-mouthing him and just, I mean, trashing him. And I thought, what happened to the love, guys? Fascinating. Both sides condescend the other side. It's what it is. Why? Because it's not of God. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not life. And so, on the one hand, there's pride and condescension with oppressive rigidity. On the other hand, there's pride and condescension with all sorts of worldliness. There is such a thing as worldliness. Both are the mark of, uh, of the enemy. In other words, oppressive rigidity. In other words, religion that oppresses is Satan's religion. To whatever degree he can infiltrate, that's the hiss of the serpent. But just sheer worldliness, well, that's Satan too. And he's constantly trying to squelch life with death. And so, uh, both of these, whether it's the counterfeit religion of oppressive rigidity, or whether it is the no religion of irreligiousness, and therefore... Uh, just being like the world and following the God of this world, all of that is the mark of the enemy. Whereas the atmosphere of true Christian liberty is humility, not arrogance. And it's real Christ-likeness, which is Christ-life. There is no Christ-likeness apart from His life. It's not mimicking a set of, of, of things to do. No, it's Him. And so... There's an atmosphere of Him. There's an atmosphere of Jesus. He is the radical center between these two ditches on either side. Atmosphere. A fourth matter on the practical standpoint is what I'm going to call overlooked Scripture. Christian legalists overlook the greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. The first and greatest commandment. And the second, Jesus said in Matthew, is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so, amazingly, that's ignored. And it really is. You see, uh, I remember when the free love of the hippie movement uh, was gone. And then uh, you had uh, fundamentalism over here. And you had evangelicalism over here. And uh, fundamentalism was touting separation. And there is a Bible truth of that. And uh, uh, evangelicalism was touting love. And there is a truth of that. But... Each side was excluding the other side. So growing up, I remember thinking love was a bad word. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's the hippies in the world, and that's the neos in the theological world. 
And so, you know, our antennas went up when somebody said, Love! <laughs> ah, there, neo-evangelical. <laughs> well, you know, love is actually in the Bible. <laughs> and so, uh, but so is holiness. The key to this, I'm telling you, is a person. Otherwise, we get it wrong. We end up in one ditch or the other. But uh, there's a humility, there's a Christ-likeness when it's real. And what happens is, if we don't get there, then we're, we have to overlook cer- certain scriptures. So Deuteronomy 6, 5, uh, they're quoted uh, by Jesus in Matthew 22, verses 38 through 40. Uh, that would be the first and second command, first and greatest commandment, and the second like unto it. 1 Corinthians 13 is another overlooked passage. That's the greatest Christian virtue. It's the passage that deals with love, and it says, And now abideth faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But that is overlooked if you're on the legalism side of it. That passage is not one you preach on. You might preach on love, but you don't ever preach on verse 13. The greatest of these is love. And so on. Another passage that is ignored is John 13:35, which is the greatest mark of discipleship. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Wow. The greatest commandment, the greatest Christian virtue the greatest mark of discipleship, and they're all ignored. Amazing. And they really are. I mean, I ignored them for years, on purpose, because it didn't fit in to my box. <laughs> and uh, so on. Uh, how about John 15, verses 9 through 15 and verse 17? John 15, of course, the first eight verses is the vine and the branches and uh, abiding in Christ, and what a tremendous passage. And even when, and when the Spirit for Life opened up, I mean, that passage just exploded. Oh, man, it was great. And then when I get to verse 9 and start talking about love, I would skip to verse 16, which talked about fruit again. And then I would ignore verse 17, which talked about love again. Because I didn't know how it fit in, to be honest with you. And so uh, that part was ignored. It's just interesting how that goes. I'm just giving examples. There's others. John 17 is often ignored. It can be misused. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but the Christian legalist would uh, ignore John 17 where Jesus said that they all may be one. But Christian licensed people misuse that passage because they forget that it says, Jesus said that they all may be one as we are one. I in you, the Father, and you in me. Okay? Christian unity is in Christ. Period. The rest of it's fake. It's not just, okay, let's all be unified and let's not dicker and whatever, whatever. No, it's when we yield to Christ in us and us in Christ and trust Him, our unity is around Him. It's all one in Christ. And that's what's uh, overlooked on the other side of the fence, but it's definitely uh, overlooked on the legalism side. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, uh, which talks about love and the end is holiness. Uh, that one's often overlooked. Because of the love part. And others could be mentioned. On the Christian license side of the fence, the overlooked scriptures would include uh, scriptures like Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's just ignored. Be not conformed to this world. Well, that doesn't fit into their paradigm of no rules. <laughs> now, you can create a box on that and go right into legalism on that. I understand that. But the truth is, it does say, be not conformed to this world. And it's got to mean something. It means it's possible to be conformed to this world, and it hinders our being transformed. So, 
It's ignored. 1 John 2, 15-17. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. Those verses are somehow ignored. Now, do you notice it says here, love not the world. See, worldliness is a hard issue. We were talking about this yesterday, and Pastor O'Gorman made a, a statement that uh, is very helpful. You see, worldliness is a hard issue. That's absolute. When the heart loves the world, regardless of what a person is doing on the outside, that's worldliness. That part's absolute. Now, when you love Jesus, then He's going to lead you, but He will lead you. It's not necessarily one particular box over another. No, He'll lead you in the context you're in, and it'll be right. And it won't be compromised, nor will it be counterfeit religion. It'll be the real deal. But the point is, worldliness is a hard issue. And when people are just longing to be like the world, there's a trouble there. And it says in that passage that when you love the world, you don't love God. Well, that's not Christian liberty. That's license. Now, where do we stand on verses like this? And it's got to mean something. It has to mean something. How about James 1.27, being unspotted from the world? Wow. And it says it's pure religion. And undefiled before God. It includes the practical example of uh, taking care of the fatherless and the widows. But then it says, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. See, when the Christians license people, mock the person who's trying to stay from the world. They're missing that verse. Now, we don't want to get into the counterfeit religion of the box, but I'm telling you, I don't want the world either. Keep oneself unspotted from the world. It's called pure religion. How about James 4.4? 4? This one's ignored on the license side of the fish, uh, fish uh, fence. Uh, the adulterers and adulteresses. This is strong language. Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity, which means hostility, with God. Whosoever therefore shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Wow, I don't want to be the enemy of God. But nor do I want to fall into Satan's trap of a counterfeit religion. See, there's your extremes here. And so license, uh, in their effort to get away from the legalism, has to ignore verses like this. 1 Peter 1, 14-16, not fashioning yourself after the world, which means not being conformed to the world. Same word as Romans 12, 2. Uh, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So we're to be as holy as God. You know, that's a pretty high standard. But see, the emphasis is on the person. And so there's the key. As he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. In other words, because he is, and he's in you, you can be ye. <laughs> and... Uh, be holy in all manner of conversation, which means lifestyle, conduct, way of life, behavior. I'm going to tell you something. Lifestyle does make a difference. And there are people, and God stirs them, and they have a heart for God. And they, and they don't want to just go into this, 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 this counterfeit. They don't want to go into this you know, performance-based thing. But if they're not careful, they ignore it all, and they allow things in their life that are the world, that are hostility with God, and choke out their desire for God. See, 
When a fundamentalist doesn't understand the life of the Spirit, and so he's got holiness, but he doesn't have the power of Jesus and doesn't have Jesus' love, it sends his kids in rebellion. But when an evangelical, who's got the emphasis on love, but there's no separation from the world, their kids love the world, and they lose their kids too. The only hope we have is the life of Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. He is our hope. And... Uh, uh, this is important. Say, so what about Christian liberty? What scripture does it ignore? None. <laughs> it gladly embraces all of it. Why? Because when you embrace Jesus, He's at oneness with the Word, and you don't have a problem with any of it. You see, that means then that Christian legalism, when it has to ignore certain scriptures, it means that it is more a Christian cultural bias than it is a biblical basis. The flip side of that, Christian license is, it's more of a secular cultural bias than it is a biblical basis. Whereas, Christian liberty is a biblical basis. Now the product, there's another category for the practice, the product of Christian legalism is dead works of self-righteousness. The other's works. It's the form of godliness that denies the power thereof. They're works, but they're dead works. They are wood, hay, and stubble. They will go up in smoke. They will be incinerated. And some of those people looked really good. I mean, they really did. Uh, they carried their Bible like this. You've got to be careful because that's usually how I do it by habit because my dad did. But uh, they do it like this. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, they look good. And it's going to be shocking to them and to everybody else at the judgment seat when it just goes up in smoke. It's dead works. It's the filthy rag of self-righteousness. It's the form of godliness that denies the power thereof. What a product! It's no product at all! On the Christian license side of things, it's not dead works, it's evil works of unrighteousness. There's no form, and there's no power. You know the very fact that it says you can have the form of godliness and deny the power thereof? It does mean there is a form. I mean, there are distinctions that God does want. Okay, there is a form, uh, but what happens here is they toss it all, they have no form, and therefore they have no power either. And it's the evil works of unrighteousness. And let me just say this before we get to Christian liberty. Which of the two is worse, self-righteousness or unrighteousness? Both are bad. And I answer just by giving the example of Jesus. How did he handle wicked people, unrighteous people who had all sorts of baggage? And how did he handle the Pharisees who were the, the legalists? They weren't Christians. They were true legalists. Uh, self-dependence for justification, how did he deal with them? You see, he nailed them. Wow. That's kind of a scary thought. Um, both are wrong. Both need God's deliverance. But uh, self-righteousness is actually the worst sin. Because on the matter of justification, the only sin that can keep you out of heaven is not trusting Jesus. In other words, you trust yourself. It's, it is the only sin that can keep a person out of heaven. And so 
uh, you have an interesting thought there. Well, we don't want dead works of self-righteousness. We don't want evil works of unrighteousness. Rather, we want the product of Christian liberty, good works of true righteousness. You know, there's none good but one. That is God, and He lives in us. And when He energizes what we do, those aren't dead works. Those are good works. Because the good one is the one working them through our bodies. This is the form of godliness energized by the power Himself. Ah, that's what we want. That's what will pass the fires of the judgment seat. And uh, God will bless. Okay, that brings us then to the end result as we bring it to a conclusion. The end result, and I've already used this terminology, but the end result of Christian legalism is a counterfeit Christianity. These people... Many of them are very much on their way to heaven. But when it comes to sanctification, we might say, maybe I should say that way. It's a counterfeit sanctification. Probably a better wording. Um, Think about this. As performance-based justification leads to eternal separation from God, performance-based sanctification leads to practical separation from God. Because it's not God-dependence, which means you're not accessing your union. There's, in a a sense, a practical separation from God. Wow. We don't want that, counterfeit sanctification. But nor do we want the end result of Christian license, compromised sanctification. And it's also separation from God in the practical sense. Why? Because Isaiah 59 says, God's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, deliver, Neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your sins have separated between you and your God. And so when people tolerate and justify their sin, then they're separated from God as well. It's compromised sanctification, whereas the Christian liberty, the end result is genuine sanctification. Now, as we've seen, the first two of these sin against the Holy Spirit, whereas Christian liberty honors the Spirit because it's the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I remember when I was in college, I was in charge of a hallway of young men, and uh, we had to enforce the rules. Well, that's what happens in institutions and so forth. And uh, remember uh, one of the, uh, we were called monitors, and they've softened the term. They call them hall leaders and other things now in these various schools, but we were monitors. And so we were monitoring and whatever. And uh, we'd carry the demerit pad and uh, all that kind of stuff. But we got to preach, and uh, so a lot of it was fun. But I remember there was a fellow on the other hall, and we would talk about, you know, uh, Snack shop theology. We would, you know, all act like we knew what we were doing and we'd talk and this and that. And I remember one day I'm sitting at the desk during what they call quiet hour, three hours from, uh, um, I think from 7 to 10. You couldn't talk out in the hallway. Uh, you could in your room, but it was to be quiet so everybody could study. And uh, he comes by my desk and he goes, You Pharisee! <laughs> and of course at the time... I defended myself. <laughs> it's what self does. <laughs> but over the years, when God awakened me to grace, I mean real grace, not license, I realized, you know what? That guy was right. <laughs> In those days, I was very self-dependent, flesh-filled. Here's what it looks like. And if it's not this, you're wicked. And uh, man, you know, if I didn't preach on, you know, if I didn't preach against this, this, and this, I didn't think I'd preached, <laughs> and uh, so forth. And I really was in a very self-dependent mode. And God has had to deal with me over these years. But I, and uh, I, I'm going to tell you, in my heart, I don't want either extreme. 
I don't want self-dependent, counterfeit sanctification, but I don't want compromised sanctification either. And you know, it almost might seem overwhelming to us. How in the world are we going to keep out of these ditches? On our own, it is impossible. I'm going to tell you something. If we just access the life of Jesus, He stays out of the ditch. It's Him. It's Him. And when we yield to His leadership and He'll yield to His power, it'll come out right. And so, there's the answer. And when we say we must embrace life to avoid death, how do we do that? You embrace Jesus. And friends, when it's really embracing Him, and not just using those words to excuse our legalism or our license, but when it's really Him, then the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus frees you from the law of sin and death. That's Christian liberty because it's the life of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for truth. We thank You that truth sets free. We thank that truth is personified in our great Savior. May, may we each one know what it is to embrace Him. And Lord, as we continue on in this conference, would You continue to open our eyes as to what it means to walk the Jesus walk, to literally experience the Jesus life, which is real life. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.